How many are happy to be in God's house tonight? So this is everybody, right? Is there anybody that's not here? Anybody who's still coming tomorrow? This is it, right? Is there, okay, we can now start the conference. No, I'm just kidding. All right, good to see you all here. We're very happy in the Lord for what God is doing. And um, we believe he's not done yet. We still got a little more than 24 hours left, like 26 hours left, 25 hours left. Um, although my daughter and I are going to be leaving tomorrow afternoon, so my wife will be leading the last session tomorrow night without us. Um, and she'll be preaching, I think, at Hope Church on Sunday morning, right? Yes. Awesome. Can we give a hand for Moksanim and Samonim? Aren't they awesome? Aren't they just wonderful? Yes. Amen. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. The scripture says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in all things, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say, where is it? I had it here. In uh, verse 8. Hold on, this is the one I need to read. I'm sorry. And I always mess up the wording of this one, so I'm going to pull it up so I don't misquote it and do uh, damage. Verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, Whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. I'm going to say this one again, verse 8. This is where we're focusing today. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, Whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Have you ever seen so many adjectives in a single sentence before in your life? Like the Apostle Paul was extremely serious about this. He said it in like 18 different ways. Whatever things are true, but not just true, they got to be noble. But not just noble, they got to be just. And not just just, they got to be pure. And not just pure, they got to be lovely. And not just lovely, but they've got to be a good report. Meditate on these things. Let me ask you a question. What does it mean to meditate? You know, I talk a lot about meditating on Scripture. And when I talk about meditating on Scripture, people often say, I'm no good at meditating on Scripture. I'm not a good meditator. I can't meditate. I don't know how to meditate. That's not true. Every human being is a meditator. Yeah. Every human being is a meditator. Because whatever you replay in your mind over and over and over and over and over again is your meditation. Your meditation is whatever you replay in your mind over and over and over and over and over again. 
And we have meditations about a lot of things. We've got meditations about God. Whatever you think about God over and over and over again is your meditation about God. And if that's bad, if you're constantly thinking the Lord doesn't love me, if you're constantly thinking maybe the Lord has cursed me, if you're constantly thinking how come the Lord doesn't answer my prayers but he answers other people's prayers, if you think that over and over again, that has become your meditation. We have meditations about ourselves. If you're constantly thinking, I'm so stupid, and I'm so ignorant, and I make so many mistakes, and I'm so ugly, and I'm such a failure, and I can't do anything right, and I'll never achieve anything in life. If you're constantly thinking those things, that is your meditation about yourself. And whatever you think about your wife or your husband over and over and over and over and over again is your meditation about your husband or about your wife. If you constantly are thinking, how come she did that? How come he said that? He's always like that. When will he change? How come she doesn't care? When will she understand me? When will he start to really love me? He doesn't actually love me. She doesn't really care about me. That is your meditation about your spouse. Now, we said in the session earlier today, I believe we said it earlier today or maybe last night, that neurologically they found that good experiences very naturally slip off the brain. When something good happens to you, your brain goes, wow, that was cool. See you later and just throws it out. But bad experiences stick in the brain like tar. When something bad happens to you, your brain just very naturally goes, we're going to hold on to that. We're going to remember that. And without discipline and intentionality, your meditation about anything is going to be more negative than positive. Without discipline and intentionality, your meditation about anything is going to be more negative than positive. Can I ask you guys to do me a favor? I, I, need, to, I need to blacktify you just a little bit. <laughs> and I, and this, is a, this is a good little tip. What happens is when speakers are speaking for a long time, they start to lose energy. And you can help them just by going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. right? And you, you ain't got to go full on black, you know, like, <laughs> well, <laughs> hallelujah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> black churches, they overdo it. I remember the first time I preached in a black church, um, they, were, they, were, they were doing that so much, I started screaming. By the end of the sermon, I was literally <laughs> screaming at the top. And then I felt somebody slap me in the back of the head. And I turned around, and it was the pastor of the church. <laughs> so, you know, just, to, just to, like if, if I say something that you agree with, all I need you to do is, or, or this, mmm, 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 that's good. I need some feedback. You're doing this. And then afterwards, like half of you are going to come and go, that was life-changing. Speakers up here like, am I saying, is this, is this okay? <laughs> All right, what was I talking about? Yes. So when Paul gives us a list and says, meditate on the following things, the things that are true and the things that are noble and the things that are lovely and the things that are pure and the things that are of good report, he says, meditate on these things 
he's speaking of intentionally taking control of the meditation of your heart. I want to ask you a question. Are you aware of the meditation of your heart? Or do you just allow your heart to just wander? What happens, the undisciplined mind is the mind that wanders. And you just let your mind, some of us, we treat our minds like we treat our kids. You know, I was out in the hallway, and how many times just on this trip have I seen random little babies just wandering off down the hall (laughs) by themselves? Ain't no adult around. One time, one got in the elevator with us (laughs) earlier today. No parent around, just a little baby just walks in the elevator. (laughs) Ran right up to Richard, followed him in the elevator, just held him. I'm going with you. (laughs) <laughs> and I understand, you know, because the, the average one of you got four or five kids. And, you know, when you got that many kids, you can't keep track of all of them. There's only two of you, and there's like five of them. And so, you know, one of them wanders off. Oh, well, somebody will get them. <laughs> you know, you do the best you can. And sometimes you just got to eat. You got to use the bathroom. You know, you need to get some sleep. You can't always, you do the best you can. But a lot of times we treat our thoughts like that. We just let them wander off. Your thought just wanders off down the hall and gets in the elevator with some stranger. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just let your thoughts just wander off. And the next thing you know, have, have you, this ever happened to you? And this, this happens to me. When I'm not disciplining my thoughts, you know where my thoughts naturally go? They go back to high school when I almost got in fights. And I beat the crap out of those people. In my mind, like I go back and finish the fight. Like, my undisciplined mind goes back to Andre Buchanan. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, because I was scared of Andre Buchanan, but now I'm 41 years old. I'm not, you know what I mean? And so, and he, he's not here. If he was here, I'd probably still be scared of him. But, <laughs> but that's not the point. The point is, where does your undisciplined thought go to? If you just let, let your thoughts just run wild and go crazy, where, the, where do they go? Paul talks about taking every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. You got to treat your thoughts like your kids. You are responsible for every one of them. You got to treat your thoughts like your, your kids. You're responsible for every one of them. If you got upstairs tonight in the hotel and looked around and said, one, two, three, oh my Lord, where's the fourth? You would go, you would leave the 99 in the pen and you would go off in search of the one and you'd be banging on doors. Why? Because you are responsible for every one of your kids. I know Pastor Cube preaches this doctrine that You know, if you don't have at least three kids, you're in rebellion against God. (laughs) You know, three is like the threshold for obedience to God. Sonny and I are just in full-on rebellion. We only got one. He said he doesn't even consider us parents. (laughs) But you know, even though we only got one, we keep track of that one. It's important. She says, I want to go downstairs into the lobby. Who's going with you? You need a chaperone. You're only eight years old. Some strange person could grab you. I don't know these people in this hotel. I don't know these people in this church. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) And so no matter how I'm feeling, I'm going to walk with you down to the lobby if you need to go to the lobby, or I'm going to make sure you have an adult chaperone that I trust because I am responsible for you. Your mind needs a chaperone, and your mind especially needs a chaperone when it comes to your thinking about your spouse. I want to encourage you to take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ in regard to your spouse. What would it look like if every thought that you thought about your spouse was a thought that was obedient to Jesus Christ? 
What if you never thought a thought about your spouse that was not in alignment with the truth of who God says they are? What if you knew your spouse by the spirit and not by the flesh and you refused to know your spouse by the flesh? What if every time you were tempted to think a negative thought about your spouse, you took that thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ? You rebuked that thought and you declared the truth in its place. That one practice alone of taking every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ in regard to your spouse would drive you to your knees because in order to obey Jesus Christ, you got to know what Jesus is saying. If you don't know what Jesus is saying, you're just making stuff up and just pretending. You've got to know your spouse by the Spirit, and you've got to know. I don't see any heads doing this. Y'all don't listen. It's just <laughs> you got to know your spouse by the Spirit. you got to know what God says. Now, there was this guy named Saul of Tarshish. Saul of Tarshish, some people think when he got saved, he changed his name to Paul. No, he did not. His Hebrew name was Saul. His Greek name was Paulos. Shaul and Paulos. And all throughout the book of Acts, whenever he's in a Jewish setting, he calls himself Shaul. That's why you go all the way to Acts 15, six chapters after he got saved, and he goes to the Jerusalem council, and they call him Brother Saul. They don't call him Paul. They call him Brother Saul. And what was I talking about? Why was I telling? Ah, okay. Thank you. So in Acts chapter 9, remember, this dude was a persecutor of Christians. He was a bad dude. He held the coats of the people who, who stoned Stephen to death. And they said, I read one commentary that said the person who holds the coats at an execution is the person who ordered the execution. So he had murdered and imprisoned believers all over the Greco-Roman world. And he was on the road to Damascus in search of more believers to imprison them. So he was a persecutor and a hater of Jesus and his people. And we know the story of how he has his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And then they lead him into the street called Straight, into the home of a guy named Simon who was a tanner. And then Jesus appears to this guy. Um, my brain isn't working right now. Three days, Paul is in the house of Simon. And then Jesus appears to Ananias. And he says to Ananias, go into the street called Straight, inquire in the home of one Simon, for, for a man named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And what did Ananias say? Mm-mm. 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 I know this cat. He's saying no to Jesus. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I'm not going to see this cat. I know him. He's foul. He's a persecutor of Christians. He's a hater of Christians. I'm staying as far away from this person as I possibly can. What is Ananias saying? I know him according to the flesh. And when you know someone according to the flesh, you know the worst stuff about them. You know everything that's wrong with them. You know every mistake they've ever made. You know every flaw they have. You know the sins they've committed. You know them. 
according to the flesh. And one of the most difficult parts of marriage, even if you married the person that you most respect in the world, <laughs> which I was not when she married me, by the way, before long, you would not know them as the person you most respect in the world. You would know them as a flawed human being because you would smell their pangus. <laughs> you would see all of their baggage and all of their garbage, and you would know all of their mistakes. And Ananias says, I know this man's error. I know his sin. He is dangerous. I'm staying away from this man. How quickly... Do we push even our own spouses away because we are so busy knowing them according to the flesh and seeing them according to their sin instead of knowing them according to the Spirit of God? And Jesus has to change Ananias' perspective. He says, he's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before kings. Go, I'm sending you so that I might show him what great things he must suffer. And now that Ananias knows Saul by the Spirit, he goes and obeys Jesus and goes to the home of Simon, and when he walks in the room, Saul has been groveling around on the floor for three days in utter blindness. And Ananias says, Brother Saul, I have come so that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Without Ananias, there would not have been an Apostle Paul. Had Ananias not known Saul by the Spirit and gone to that house and laid his hands on him, Saul would have never received his sight. He still would have been at that house today, groveling around on the floor, completely blind. Paul needed a Saul. Have you ever seen those big 740? I mean, I'm sorry. Saul needed an Ananias. You ever seen those big 747 jets? Have you ever seen that little car in front that backs it up onto the runway? That's what Ananias was. Ananias was that little car. And the Apostle Paul was a 747. And in order for him to begin his ministry, somebody had to see him by the Spirit. Somebody had to look past his flaws Somebody had to get enough revelation even to forget about his sin and say, that's part of his past life, it's not part of his present life. That's what Satan tried to do to mark him and to name him, but that's not who Jesus says he is. I know what he did, but I'm not believing what he did. I'm believing who Jesus says he is, and Jesus said he's a chosen vessel. Yeah. And Ananias, because he got a revelation of who Paul was by the Spirit, he came and backed him out onto the runway. And that 747 took off. And we're reading 16 letters in the New Testament written by that dude because one person knew him by the Spirit. Do you know what you're supposed to be in the life of your spouse? You're supposed to be their Ananias. You're supposed to be their Ananias. I have to be my wife's Ananias, and she's got to be my Ananias. Because she knows me by the flesh. And it's so easy to know your spouse by the flesh. But if you're going to know your spouse by the spirit, that's going to take some intentionality. And here's the thing. You know, if, if, if I were to ask you to come to my church and preach a sermon. Now, some of you, that might freak you out. 
<laughs> but you know what you would do if you accepted that invitation? You would pray and you would fast and you would study scripture and you would meditate. You would take it so seriously. Oh, God, I need to have a word for your people. Do you realize that more than anything, you have the same responsibility to get a word for your spouse? Yeah, yeah. That is, you have the same responsibility, and in fact, even more so, yeah. to know your spouse by the Spirit than to know the people of God. And it's so easy to know the people of God by the Spirit because there's this distance. Yeah. You go to home group, and you prophesy over each other, and you cry, and you hear God speak. And you're prophesying over this person, and you're prophesying over that person, and they cry. And then they're prophesying over you. Everybody knows each other except the husband and the wife. You know what I want to see? I want to see husbands prophesy over their wives. I want to see wives prophesying over their husbands. I want to see husbands and wives making a decision. You know what? I don't know my wife by the spirit very well. I'm going to go into my prayer closet and I'm going to pray that God would give me a revelation of who my wife is. I'm going to pray that God would open my eyes to see her by the spirit because it's one thing to just see the gifts that your spouse has. You know, of course, you haven't done a, if you see the gifts your spouse has, so what? Everybody sees them. People at work see her gifts. Everybody knows how excellent she is. And all you're telling her is what everybody tells her. Oh, you're so gifted. You got such strong administration. You're so helpful. And you're so loving. Oh, I appreciate you so much. And don't get me wrong. That's good. Keep doing that. That's powerful. You should do that. But there's something more the Lord wants to tell you about your spouse. There's something more. The Lord, listen, we need to be seeking a revelation. When was the last time you asked God to give you a revelation about who your spouse is? Until God gives you a revelation of your spouse, you don't even know who you're married to. You have no clue who you're sitting next to. Where is your wife? Yeah, you. Oh, she's with the kids. Okay. Is Cato okay? Yeah. He's beginning better? Do they have to give him some medicine? Okay. All right, good. Good. You need a revelation of who your spouse is. And then, once you get a revelation of who your spouse is, you're now responsible before God to steward that revelation. And what does it mean to steward that revelation? It means to treat them according to the person Jesus told, them, told you they are and not according to the person they're acting like. Because so often, your spouse is acting like a fool. When Jesus said, <laughs> your husband is acting like a fool, but Jesus said he's a man of God. If you don't know him to be a man of God, he may never become one. You're his Ananias. You are responsible for the revelation that Jesus gave you. And we have to steward the revelation that Jesus gave us. I remember when Sunday and I were dating, one of her big problems was that um, she already had her life planned out. 
and it didn't include marrying me. <laughs> she was going to graduate from seminary and go to China and build an orphanage and sleep on the floor with the children forever. <laughs> and then make her way into North Korea and build an orphanage there and die. <laughs> like her goal, martyrdom. Like she wanted to be a martyr and I wanted her to be a wife. <laughs> and those two didn't fit. And the struggle for her at that time was what am I going to do with my sense of calling? And I'll never forget, I was coming out of class one day, and I was coming down the steps at Fuller Theological Seminary, and I had a vision of her standing on a platform in an African nation before a, a multitude, and she was prophesying over the nation. And I went to her that night, and I said, I saw you in the spirit on a platform prophesying over nations. That was part of what opened her heart. One component of it, that I had a vision for who she is in the spirit and how God would use her life. And God has fulfilled that vision again and again and again over the last 17 and a half years as we've been married. There have been many times when God has used her to speak into my life and tell me who I am by the spirit. Times when I've forgotten who I am. And so the most powerful thing you can do is steward the revelation of who your spouse is and become the Ananias that reveals to your spouse what the Lord is saying he's going to do for them. Amen? Amen. Now, I want to give you a very uh, practical tool in this session tonight. I'm going to give you a very practical tool. We're going to come back and we're going to worship and we're going to believe God to pour out his fire on this place. We're going to do that. But before we do that, there's a very practical tool I'm going to give you. Because in order to, to have the right meditation about your spouse... There are some exercises and some disciplines that you need to learn. Because as I said, if you just let your mind go naturally, you're going to walk away from here and say, wow, that was a good word. I really need to do that. But you ain't going to do that. Tomorrow you're going to be thinking that, Joshik. <laughs> <laughs> and then you might go, oops. But within two weeks, there won't even be an oops. It's just going to go back to normal. So I want to give you an exercise. And the exercise is called admiration and appreciation. Admiration and appreciation. Here's how it works. I'm giving you homework. Every day for the next 30 days. Every day for the next 30 days. You and your spouse, either first thing in the morning or the last thing at night, or sometime during the day, sit down with each other face to face, and you're going to go back and forth until each of you have shared five things that you either appreciate about each other or admire about each other. But there's rules. Number one, it must be specific. You cannot say, I really appreciate the way you cook. <laughs> cook what? And when? It's got to be, I really appreciate that last night, no, I really appreciate that this afternoon you made that barbecue chicken and that pulgogi right? It's got to be specific. Most of them, you already know what you're going to say to your wife. <laughs> it's got to be specific. Number two, it's got to be um, completely positive. You cannot say, I really appreciate that you washed the dishes last night because it's about time you washed some dishes in this house. 
You can't throw in a jab. It's got to be completely positive. And number three, you've got to tell why you appreciate it. I really appreciate that you made my favorite chicken last night because I was craving it all day. And it was like you read my mind. And when I got home and you made it, I felt so loved to have that chicken. And then lastly, the response is simply, thank you for noticing that. Thank you for noticing that. The response cannot be, well, it's about time you acknowledge me for that. I've been cooking for you every night, and I never got any thanks from you. Amen. <laughs> All right. Can you do that? You're going to practice right now. So my wife and I are going to demonstrate. Come here, wife. <laughs> We're just going to do one each, just so you get the hang of it, just so you, you see it. Let me just add, when you first do it, something new is always awkward. And so you're going to feel awkwardness. And some of you, you're going to feel like, well, it's not natural, then it's not real. If it's awkward, it's going to do the opposite. And so, but then you will never learn anything new because any, anything that is new is awkward in the beginning. Whatever habit, all, everything you, anything you do consistently creates a brain pathway, right? So if you, and our brain is, it naturally picks up the negative. You know, even if your wife did 10 Amazing things, and you saw one negative, your brain's going to remember that one negative more, right? And so often, we have to, rem we have to recognize that we, have, we already have brain pathways. I guess that kind of turns away, away from each other. Out of irritation, frustration, helplessness, or hopelessness, right? And so in order for us to create new brain pathway, you have to be intentional, number one. Number two, you have to do it often. You know, one of the things is they say, once a brain pathway is created, it never disappears. However, until you die, you could always create a new brain pathway. So if you're an alcoholic, right, and you really work hard, and you create a new brain pathway. When I get triggered, instead of going to alcohol, right, I'm going to go pray, right, or I'm going to open the Bible. And you know what? When you try, because your, your brain pathway going to alcohol is so big, you, often you find yourself there, even if you don't mean to. So if, like, a lot of you, you know, like we talked about last night, like you naturally criticize, right? Why'd you do that for? Why, right? Even if you tell yourself, I'm going to be nice, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it nicely, and then tomorrow, next day you find yourself, because there's, always, there's already a brain pathway inside of your brain. So you got to be consistent to create this new brain, brain pathway of recognizing and appreciating, admiring our spouse. And it takes 30 days, consistent 30 days, to create a new brain pathway, to create a new habit. And so that's why 30 days, okay? All right, we're going we're gonna to watch this. <laughs> I really appreciate. Oh, by the way, sorry. The difference, the difference between appreciation and admiration. I appreciate what you do. I admire who you are. 
So we're going to do each of those. We're going to do one appreciation and one admiration. Okay? Okay. I really appreciate that on the flight coming here, you let me sleep the whole flight. <laughs> and you played with Alethea the whole time, even though you were really tired. And you could have at any time woken me up and said, your turn. But you didn't. You saw how tired I was, and you just lovingly and graciously let me sleep. I really appreciate that because it made me feel really loved. Thank you for noticing that. <laughs> and, um... <laughs> See, I'm doing that purposefully because you're going to... And when your spouse goes, um, don't feel bad. It's normal. It's normal, okay? And if you can't think of anything specific, don't worry. The more you do this, guess what? You, you're training your brain so that after about three, four days, you're watching. I'm going to have to do AA tonight. <laughs> I can't make it up. <laughs> so I'm watching. Okay, what's he doing? That's good, right? And so we're training our brain to hold on to what is positive, right? So, hmm, Benjamin? I really, really appreciate that um, lately you have been doing all the dishes. And even when I make something just for myself and there's dishes, you really don't have to, but you take it and you wash it because you know that with the beginning of my arthritis, how it's painful for me to do the dishes. So I really appreciate you doing that because it, I feel so loved every time you do that, and you've been doing it so often. Thank you so much. Thank you for noticing that. <laughs> Sonny, I really, really admire the level of enthusiasm and engagement you bring to playing with our daughter every day. Like, I watch you when she comes in the room, when she comes home from school, like, whenever she comes in, like, you immediately greet her with joy, like, you're overjoyed, and I see what that does to her, and then you dance with her, and you play with her, like, I don't naturally have the energy to do that, and so watching you do that, just, it just naturally flows out of who you are, I admire that so much, and it makes me want to be a parent like you. Thank you for noticing that. And Benjamin, I really admire your ability to believe. I think often, even when after our fights, uh, sometimes I feel like we're stuck in uh, where we are, but you always seem to like believe when it's so hard to believe, you know? And not only for our marriage, but for our church. And just every time I feel like it's hard for me to believe, you always rise up and you believe, you know? And so I really admire your ability to believe when it gets difficult. Thank you for noticing that. <laughs> All right, that's it. And you know what? Yeah, you do it five times, back and forth, back and forth. And that's training your brain. And you know what? We taught Alethea this. And often while we're driving, Alethea would say, can we do AA? She would initiate it. And we would end up AAing everybody going around. And it just uh, releases 
joy, right? And it releases uh, appreciation in the atmosphere, right? That's right. Remember last night we talked about anxiety and empathy. What this does is it kills anxiety. Because have you ever had that experience where there's tension in the air between you and your spouse and you don't even know why? It's like you feel it, you're like, we're about to fight. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So one time my wife and I, we went to visit some, fr- some church members. And when we got in the car to come home, on the way home, Sonny goes, did we fight about something? And I said, no. And she goes, did I get mad at you about something? And I said, I don't think so. And she goes, hmm, how come I don't feel good between us? I said, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> and she goes, okay, let's do AA. Just say some nice things to me. And we did AA, and what did it do? It killed the anxiety in the atmosphere, okay? And it moves us toward good pleasure, okay? Now, let me tell you a couple things why this is important, and then I'm going to release you to do it. Number one, actually, no, 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 do it first, and then I'll tell you why, okay? So get your spouse right now, and just look into the eyes of your spouse, back and forth, five times each. All right, Moksanim and Samonim, can you come forth? Moksanim and Samonim, come forward, please. (laughs) No, you. (laughs) All right. Now, uh, you know when you are fighting, you flood, right? What that means is in your brain, you have a, I'm going to actually talk about this tomorrow night. It's once I learned this, you asked Benjamin, I changed. I changed. You know that crazy me? is slowly transforming because I learned this, right? But I'm going to teach you how to de- like process this. But anyway, flooding means you have a window of capacity, what you could handle emotionally. But when your spouse does something that's outside of your capacity, like leaving crumbs everywhere, <laughs> not just in the kitchen, but in the office, right? <laughs> in the bedroom. Right? In the living room, right? And you can't tell which clothes is dirty or clean. And you do that every day for 17 and a half years. It goes beyond. It's not just about one time. Oh, I'm flooding. Oh, sorry. So when they do that, it kind of, certain things, you can handle it. It irritates you, but it's inside of your capacity. But when they do something that's outside of capacity, okay, or triggers something that's outside of your capacity, you no longer are able to act like a human being. Like Benjamin said last night, right? You become the animal, you become an animal. The animals, you know what they do? They either run, right, or they attack. They're going to attack whatever is trying to kill you, right? And so, but when we are uh, uh, flooding mentally, emotionally, it, it shuts down. Remember I told you, I don't know, yesterday, like the left shutdown and the right side takes over or the back brain takes over, and that's it. Then you can't have a loving, you can't really fix anything. You know how those spouses, that needs to, you can't go to sleep. You can't, we got to figure this out. Guess what? Once that happens, once you flood, nah, it's not going to happen. 
right? So that means the, the reason why Benjamin talked about meditation and the reason why we're telling you, you got to create this new habit of appreciating and admiring each other, right, is so that you flood your brains with positivity rather than negativity, right? So, Samonim, right here. So we all know what it means to create a negative flood. What we're going to learn how to do is create a positive flood. And so we're going to coach Moksanim, and he's going to give Samonim a positive flood right now. Maybe Moksanim doesn't know, right? Maybe he can't figure it out, so maybe Benjamin, you should show him and he can follow. All right. Yeah. No, let's do this thing. All right, so here's how positive flooding works. The goal is to stir up the joy and appreciation until it is beyond capacity. We're talking about overflowing joy. And in order to do that, what I'm going to do is I'm going to identify things that I love about my wife, things about her physical appearance, things about her... There was four categories. Physical appearance... Oh, you guys did the homework already. All right. I can't remember what they are. Physical, personality, behavior, global affirmations. So do you know what global affirmations are? A, a global affirmation is, is just like an overall general and, yeah, a universal fact about your spouse. Like, you're so beautiful. You're so awesome. You're so wonderful. But the other, others are very specific things that you love about your spouse. Physical, uh, behavioral personality, and global. All right? So watch how I do this, okay? I'm going to do this with my wife. Remember, anything new is awkward. You right? feel awkward. <laughs> I need some space. Actually, turn, turn towards me because I need to be able to walk around you. Okay. All right. So you stand and you look your spouse in the eye. I'm going to put this down, but you can still hear me. to people and your desire to go deep and fellowship with people and I love the way you run you have the cutest run that I've ever seen in my life and I love the way you love our daughter and I love you you're so beautiful you're so wonderful I love you you're awesome you're the best wife in the whole world So when you get to the global affirmations, you jump up and down. All right. And now your moksanim. Yes, you have to jump up and down. Yeah. Yeah. It's a flood. Come on. You can jump up and down for a football game or a soccer game if, if Korea is playing in the World Cup. Because you can't jump up and down for your spouse. Uh. 
All right. Moksanim is going to flood Samonim. Go! Walking. Don't stop walking. Like, but when you're in the front, you gotta say something. Up. Yeah. <laughs> I love your smile. Keep walking. Don't stop walking. You got to say it while you're walking. Whoever's laughing for a net. Hello. <laughs> That's okay. You are the most, most beautiful woman. <laughs> you are the most beautiful woman that I know. Aww. Keep on walking, Muxadim. <laughs> and... You are the best cook ever. Oh, yeah. I love your meatloaf. Oh. I love your lasagna. Oh. I love the chicken. Mm. And I love the way you love our children. Oh. I love the way how you take care of us. Mm. And I, I thank you and I love you for the way you are provided for our family. Mm. Oh, yeah. Come on, stand to your feet and give it up for the Moksanim and the Samonim. Samonim, Joy, the first time we did, not this, AA, you know, five times. First time we did AA, he heck cried. Yeah, that's awesome, beautiful. All right. Now, why are exercises like this important? Okay. Admiration and appreciation. You know why it's important to do it every single day? Because if you wake up tomorrow morning and you know tonight I've got to say five positive things to my wife, all day, you, all, all day long you're going to be thinking, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? What am I, I got to say something good to my wife. What am I going to say? I got to say five good things to my wife. And so what are you going to do? You're going to be watching what she does. The next morning you're going to be watching what she does. Oh, she picked up that piece of paper off the floor. Yeah. I dropped that piece of paper, she picked it right up and didn't say anything. Wow, look at that. Oh, she got all the kids' uh, lunches ready and got them out the door. Look at that. And you're, you know what you're going to notice? You're going to notice a hundred things that you never noticed before yeah. that your spouse does. Yeah, yeah. Good things. Yeah. 
In other words, knowing that tonight you've got to give five positive words of affirmation to your spouse, all day long today, you're going to train your brain to think positively about your spouse instead of thinking negatively about your spouse. Because if you don't do admiration and appreciation for our night, if you just throw this away, you know what's going to happen? You're going to go right back to thinking negative about your spouse and noticing all the negative things they do. This trains you to watch your spouse for the positive. Watch the good things. And secondly, you're going to wake up tomorrow morning thinking, she has to say five positive things to me. <laughs> and it will be real embarrassing if I do nothing for her today. So what can I do for my spouse so that she'll have something to say tonight? What can I do? I know it's lunchtime. I'm going to send her a text message and just say, hey, baby, I was thinking about you, and I love you so much. Okay, that's one thing. All right, let's see. What else can I do? Hey, you need me to pick up the kid today? So it trains your brain, number one, to think of the positive that your spouse does for you, and number two, to think of the positive that you can do for your spouse. Do, but the discipline of doing it every night is what causes you to train your brain. If you stop doing it, then there's, the training stops. So you're training your brain to think of the good. Amen? Were you wanting to say something? <laughs> yeah. So these types of exercises train our brain. Now remember, John Gottman said you need a five-to-one ratio of positive to negative interactions. What we're doing is every day we are staging a set of five positive interactions that you and your spouse will have before the night is over. And it's going to kill anxiety in the room. You got it. Remember, you see, when, when you keep doing this, you're going to be like, wow, you appreciate that? Right. Yeah. Often, I'm like, oh, I didn't know you appreciated that. Right. And often, he's like, oh, you like that? <laughs> I didn't think you liked that. Like, I remember once I said, I love it when you rub my bag when we were out double dating. <laughs> because, no, okay, only positive. Okay, <laughs> right? And he's like, oh, you like that? I'm like... Yeah, and so when you appreciate your something that your spouse does, you know what you do? Now they, want, they do it more than ever. They, you kind of encourage them to do it over and over and over again. Often even good things that you do, when it is not acknowledged and when it is not appreciated, you either stop doing it or you do it because out of obligation. But when you notice it, when you acknowledge it and when you appreciate it, right, then you do it with joy and then you want to do more. Right. Yeah. What you appreciate, you perpetuate. Yeah. What you appreciate, you perpetuate. And here's the powerful thing. Appreciation is so much more powerful than complaint. Yeah. Now, there's two things you could do. There's things all of you can think of that your spouse used to do for you that they don't do anymore, right? All of us can think of those things, right? Like wives, you can think, he used to massage my shoulders every night <laughs> when he was trying to catch me. <laughs> but he doesn't do that anymore. Now, let's say you want your spouse to do that again. There's one, one way to go about it is a complaint. You know, you used to massage my shoulders, but ever since we got married and you think you got me now, you don't do it anymore. Do you think that's going to inspire him <laughs> to massage your shoulders? You think he's going to go, oh, you're right, by George. <laughs> you know what? From now on for the rest of our lives. But if you say, you know what I really, really appreciated is when you used to massage my shoulders. I really appreciated that. 
Do you know that you can actually go back in time and appreciate things that you maybe haven't appreciated in a long time or maybe that your spouse used to do but doesn't do anymore? Appreciation is so much more powerful than complaint. And when my wife does that to me, oh, wow, you know, I used to appreciate, I, I appreciated so much the way you used to massage my legs. When you did that, it made me feel so good. It makes me want, really? I'm going to massage your legs right now. Like, I can't wait till we're done with admiration and appreciation. I'm going to rub your legs. You're going to get the best leg rub down that you ever got before in your life because appreciation is a far better motivator than complaint. Right? Good. Anything else? All right, uh, worship team, come back. We're going to do one more thing before we close this. Actually, I just need a keyboard player. I don't need the whole worship team. Um, we're going to do one more thing before we close this thing off. Uh, we started off talking about Ananias and the Apostle Paul and, yeah. and hearing God speak to you about your spouse. We're going to take some time now as we close this service yeah. to seek God, each and every one of us, because this is more. Listen, what builds a happy and healthy marriage is more than just some activities and practices and exercises. We need the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think for many of us in this room, it's been a long time since we've actually asked the Lord, would you speak to me about my spouse? Would you show me who he is in the spirit? Would you show me who she is in the spirit? Would you give me a word? Lord, would you teach me to take my thoughts captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ? I need to know my spouse by the spirit so that I can relate to them according to the way you see them instead of according to the way the devil sees them. Do you realize that if you relate to your spouse according to all of their flaws and according to all of their mistakes and according to all of their sins, you relate to them in a way that's completely different than the way God relates to them? The way you treat them and the way God treats them is completely different. In actuality, you're relating to them the way Satan relates to them. That when you look at your spouse, if all you see is their flaws, you see them through the eyes of Satan and not through the eyes of Jesus. But if you look at your spouse, even if they're not living up to it, but you see in the spirit who they are, it doesn't mean that you have to deny the truth. It doesn't mean that you have to just pretend that they are that person already. But you have to know this is who God has called this person to be so that now you can contend before the Lord for the fulfillment of, that, of your spouse's destiny. So that when you go before God, you say, God, I know that my spouse is acting this way, but you told me, you showed me that this is who they are. God, I believe your word. I believe your promise. I believe what you have spoken. And God, I'm standing by faith and saying that this is the person my spouse is, and you're going to teach them to live that way. I believe that. I believe that. And now you're standing in faith with God. Abraham, against all hope. Abraham, in hope, believed. And so became the father of many nations. What was it he believed? He considered not the deadness of Sarah's womb, nor of his own body, seeing that he was about a hundred years old. But he was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because he believed that God was able to do what he had promised. What did Abraham believe? He believed that God could make his wife fruitful. And when he stopped believing that, Hagar happened. The whole Hagar incident happened because Abraham forgot who Sarah was in the spirit. The whole Hagar incident happened because Sarah stopped believing in her own fruitfulness. And when she came to Abraham and said, take my servant Hagar, Abraham should have said, no, I know you by the spirit. 
and I'm not going around you to see God's promise in my life fulfilled. The promise is coming through you. That was an opportunity for Abraham to prophesy to his wife, to know her by the Spirit. I know you by the Spirit. I know what God said about you. And God would not allow the promise to be filled without Sarah. It wasn't just Abraham. It was Abraham and Sarah. When Abraham tried to go around Sarah to fulfill the promise, God came to him and said, I will visit you in one year, and your wife Sarah will have a son. And Abraham said, no, no, no. Lord, just let Ishmael walk before you. And the Lord said, no. It's Sarah. It's your wife. You're not getting this promise fulfilled without your wife. It's not without your wife. And listen, you got to know your wife by the Spirit. And wives, you got to know your husband by the Spirit. And you got to know that there is a divine destiny over your lives, over your family, that only the two of you can have as one together in the Spirit, believing for one another, standing before God, and contending for what God has spoken over your marriage. It's not about her ministry and my ministry. It's not about her calling and my calling. It's our ministry. It's our calling. It's oneness. It's together. But I got to believe the Lord. I got to believe the Lord, and I need a revelation from him. And when you come to that place in your heart where you say, God, I can't live another day without a revelation from you. I need to be able to see my spouse by the Spirit. Show me who they are. Open my eyes and let me see. I need to see how powerful you are in my spouse. Some of you have no clue how powerful the person sitting next to you is. How awesome. How much ministry God has put in them. How much anointing God has set upon them. But God's getting ready to open your eyes and you're going to begin to see it. And some of you, before you leave this hotel tomorrow night, before this conference is over, you're going to get a revelation from God about who your spouse is and you're going to see them by the Spirit. And once God shows you who they are, you're going to relate to them according to what God says. You're not going to lean on your own understanding. You're going to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Leaning on your own understanding means I see your flaws. But trusting in the Lord says, I see your flaws, but I trust the Lord. I believe what God says. I believe what God says. And I'm not giving up on you. I'm going to contend for you. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to believe for you. I'm going to stand by your side, and I'm going to fight it out. Amen. Amen. Do you remember the movie Avatar? Do you see the movie Avatar? You remember that scene when he passed out, and the guy came over with the knife to cut his throat, the other beast being came to cut his throat what happened his woman stood up in between him and went <sighs> she's like take your hands off of him or I'll kill you right now she said that scene made me cry right there she's like I'm gonna fight for my man I'm gonna stand in the gap for my man you know some of you the, the devil has stretched out his hand to cut your husband's throat you need to stand in between the devil and your husband and say if you come one step closer I'm gonna kill you for some of you, the devil has stretched out his hand to cut your wife's throat. You need to stand between your wife and the devil and say, take one more step in the direction of my wife and I will kill you. There is a divine jealousy, a gangster spirit that would come on you from the Lord that would rise up and say, I will contend for the spouse that God gave me. And no devil in hell is going to tell me who she is. Amen. Amen. You got that? Now I want you to begin to pray right now. I want you to begin to contend right now. I want you to begin to ask God right now, give me a revelation. I need a revelation. I need to see my spouse by the spirit and not by the flesh. Hallelujah.